Turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 10. John, chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. John, chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. And the scripture says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, Seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold... Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath the devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Our text this morning is that last phrase, that last question. Why hear ye him? Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God that as I preach, your word will go forth in power. Why should we hear what he has to say? Why hear we him? Why are we here today? And it should be to hear from you. Dear God, have your way in our lives. Teach us, convict us, correct us, change us, we pray. And Father, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Now, in this passage, Jesus had just completed one of his, some of his most profound statements that you can find in the word of God. He had likened himself to not a door, but the door to eternal life. He had displayed, and I want you to get this, as we see it over and over again in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He had displayed zero religious tolerance. I want you to get that. Jesus spoke the truth. He did not compromise it for anybody, like the woman at the well. When he said, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He displayed absolutely zero religious tolerance, for he always stood for the truth. He had, in a very distinct way, told the listeners that there was no other way to heaven and eternal life but through him. He was the door. He was the good shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep. No alternatives whatsoever. Now, the reality is that kind of faith, that kind of religion is not popular these days. We're supposed to be open up to all kinds of faith because, after all, we're all going to the same place. No, we're not. And Jesus made that very plain. It's funny, there have been some groups of these religious divines that have gotten together that include liberals from all over the country and some very, very big church denominations. And they've gotten together several times in the last few years and they, they, you know, they get together and they vote on things. Now, the word of God is just true. You can vote all day long. That's not going to change what is truth, all right? But they have come out with this blasphemous statement that the God of Christianity and the God of Islam is the same. Well, obviously, these divines have never read their scripture to try to find out what God thinks about things. God's made it plain, for instance, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, for I am the Lord thy God. He says in chapter 6 and verse 15 of Deuteronomy, he says, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among thee, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. In Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 10, he says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. He says basically the same thing again in chapter 44 of Isaiah and verse 6, when he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the King of Israel, I am the first. And I am the last, and beside me there is no God. You remember in Exodus chapter 32, when the people came to Aaron, Moses had been up in the mount praying, and they told Aaron, up, make us gods, for we don't know what's become of this man Moses. And so he had them bring in all their jewelry, and he melted it down, and he made a graven calf. And they said, tomorrow there will be a feast unto the Lord. And that's in all capitals, Lord. Which means he was saying that tomorrow will be a feast unto Jehovah. But that calf was not Jehovah. I mean, it just was not Jehovah. It kind of reminds me of the story of Abraham Lincoln that he was asked the question, how many legs, or he asked the question to some of his uh, aides. He said, how many legs would a lamb have if you called it its tail a leg? And they all said five. And he said, no, it'd still only have four because calling it a leg doesn't make it a leg. Well, I'll tell you, we got a lot of people around this country that need to get a hold of that and understand it. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus would go on to say later, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just like Jesus didn't say, I am a door. He is the door. He doesn't say, I am a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep. 
So he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then just in case somebody doesn't understand that, they don't get it, he goes on to say, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He absolutely is the only way to heaven. You see, the words of the real Jesus wouldn't go over very well today, and they don't with a lot of people. By the way, they didn't go over very well with some of the people that were listening to him here in John chapter 10. For you go back to this in verse 19, it said, There was a division therefore again among the Jews for these sayings. And in verse 20, And many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. I mean, since this man has a devil and is mad, why hear ye him? Well, he didn't have a devil and he wasn't mad. He's right. These were the people who were mad because they had forsaken the truth of God's word. It seems that Jesus never was successful at bringing unity among the people. Because whenever he spoke, there was division. There were people who accepted his word. There were people who rejected his word. In John chapter 10, Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And he would set a man at variance with his family. There would be trouble even within families about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that still being fulfilled today, exactly like Jesus said. He testified that families would become divided over him. You see, the reality is Jesus would not have fared too well in the modern day movement of unity and religious tolerance because Jesus had nothing to do with it. You see, they asked, his enemies asked this question, why hear ye him? I listen to the Lord Jesus in that I get in this book. This is his word right here. I'm not looking for some extra revelation. God has completed his word. And it's all right here in my King James Bible. I've got his word. That is enough for me. I believe it. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. By the way, Brother Jody, I wonder how many times I've quoted that verse from this pulpit over the last 33 years. I've quoted it. I've quoted it so much. All of you ought to know it by heart by now without having to work at memorizing it. Amen. Anyway, but why did the people hear the people that did hear him? Why did they hear him? Why did they want to hear him? I want to give you a couple of reasons. Number one, for the words that he spake. If you turn over to John chapter seven, just a moment, there were some soldiers that the priest had sent out to arrest Jesus. Now, these priests, they didn't like what Jesus had to say, but when they came back, they didn't have Jesus with him. So it says in verse 43 of John chapter 7, So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? And the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. I mean, you can get to the words of the Lord Jesus, forget all the commentaries, forget all of the divines that think somehow, you realize there's a group of people out there who have been meeting every year for the last several years, and they don't believe Jesus said everything he's recorded as saying here in the scripture. As a matter of fact, they sit in judgment on it. They believe Jesus said this, but he didn't say that. He said this, but he didn't say that. I'm sorry, he said everything that's in this book. 
And everything he said is recorded accurately, exactly as he said it. He tried, they spoke out. They said, well, never man. They heard him. They listened to him. And even though there were others who may have said he had a devil, others who may have said that he was mad, they said, never man spake like this man. Well, there's a couple reasons for that. Back in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 29, after the Sermon on the Mount, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught with authority and not as other men taught. You know, even in our Baptist churches, you'll get a lot of preachers they will stand up and they'll quote some of the old preachers. You'll hear somebody say, well, as Charles Spurgeon said, well, as D.L. Moody said, as so-and-so. You realize Jesus didn't quote anybody? When he did offer a quote, his quote was only, thus saith the Lord, what the word of God had said. Like in the temptations, in all three temptations, his answer to the devil, he just simply quoted the scripture. Matter of fact, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy all three times and defeated the devil with that very powerful book. He taught as one having authority because he is the authority. He didn't need to quote some famous rabbi. Any of the famous rabbis would have just been men whose intelligence would have been limited, but Jesus, all wisdom was in him. Today, if the newspaper wants a statement on hell, isn't it funny they go to Dr. So-and-so of Cambridge or another Dr. So-and-so from Princeton or another Dr. So-and-so and they quote from them to try to find out if there's really a hell. How about going to Dr. Jesus? And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torment and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus that I may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You want to find out how bad hell is? Just go to Jesus. Just take his words. He's told us very plainly. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You go to Mark chapter 9, and six times he calls it hell fire, and three times he says, Well, the worm doth not, and the fire is not quenched. Several years ago, Billy Graham was asked the question, You think there's really fire, flame in hell? He said, I don't know, but I do know this, that it's... If any place where Jesus isn't would be a hell. And I was shouting at the radio when I heard that statement. Read your Bible. Jesus said there was fire. Jesus said there were flames in hell. As a matter of fact, of all the Bible writers, nobody spoke as much or as graphically about hell as did Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, he spoke as one having authority because he is the one who is creator of all. And he knows all things. Jesus is the one who said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus made it very plain that the dividing line between heaven and hell has nothing to do with your works. It has to do with your faith. If you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are on your way to hell. And the only way you can escape The terrors and the torments of hell is to turn to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in him. There is no other way. 
Scripture is plain. In John 8, 24, he told these same people that he preached to in chapter 7. He said, ye shall die in your sins, for except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. You've got to believe right in order to go to heaven about Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, these religious divines in Jesus' day said he's mad. He has a devil. Why hear ye him? We hear him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's enough. Not only that, he taught with gracious words. Over in Luke chapter 4 and verse 22, the scripture says, And all bear him witness and wondered, I want you to get this, wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. You see, the people heard him not only because he spake with authority, but he spake with graciousness. Now, that word may mean different things to different people, but I believe the word of God gives us a good understanding of what this word graciousness would mean. It does not mean that everything that he said was soothing and cushioned and easy. For after all, the Lord Jesus called the Pharisees whited sepulchers. That wasn't very nice. Problem is, it was true. He called some of the people vipers and told them that they were of their father, the devil, and the lust of their father they would do. But aren't we all children of God? No, we're not. You got to be born again. You must be born spiritually. You must have the new birth if you want to be a child of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He rebuked one of his own disciples, Peter, when Peter didn't like the idea that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die for our sins. And he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You see, we're told in John chapter 6 that he spoke many hard sayings. And his own disciples murmured at it. Well, what then does this graciousness mean? It means having divine influence and benefit of the heart. What he said, if received, help people. John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. We got a bunch of people out there that if it just hurts their feelings a little bit, it shouldn't be said. Well, if it keeps them from hell, it's got to be said. He came to seek and to save the lost, and he didn't come to do it with compromise. He came to do it by standing with and for the truth and fulfilling the truth of God's word. Yes, even when he spoke with rough words, it was calculated to be a benefit to them. You see, if you believe what Jesus said, then you will turn to Jesus Christ get forgiveness of your sins, get your destiny changed from hell to heaven if you will pay attention to what he said and believe it the way that he said it. I I have a few messages that I have preached on hell over the past and preaching out whenever I preach revival out. I always have at least one message on hell, completely on hell. Not just mention it in passing, but completely on hell. And whenever it seems like I refer to Luke chapter 16, there's always somebody that's there that night. might be a visitor. It might be some young person will come up to me and they'll say, 
Yeah, but that, that's just a parable. I look chapter 16, that's just a parable. And I say, show me. Show me where Jesus said that was a parable. If Jesus said it was a parable, then I'd believe it was a parable. But Jesus didn't say it was a parable. And then I say, well, show me any time when Jesus told something, a story that he called a parable where he used the proper name of one of the individuals in the story. He might talk about a certain rich man. He might talk about a certain beggar or a certain man or whatever. But he didn't, in parables, he didn't give a proper name to him. But in Luke chapter 16, there was a certain rich man and there was a beggar named Lazarus. That beggar was a real person. Not only that, even, even if, even if there was the slightest chance that it was a parable, the central idea to the parable is this, you die lost, you go to a hell where you burn for eternity. You can't get around it, you can't get away from it, and you put to it all the other things that Jesus said about Jesus. Man, that's just plain. The Lord Jesus Christ, he taught with gracious words by giving people the truth as a warning. After all, when he told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he says to Nicodemus, because, you know, a lot of people try to hide in their religion. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. As a Pharisee, we know that he believed in Jehovah God of the Bible. We know that as a Pharisee, that he was a man who tithed of all that he possessed. As a Pharisee, he fasted twice in the week. This was a man who lived as outwardly a clean life as is possible for a man to live. But Jesus said to him, Marvel not, I said unto thee, ye must be born again. It is absolutely necessary. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Those are gracious words. Not only that, he spoke boldly. Back here in John chapter 7 and verse 26. The scripture says, But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? The word boldly can be related to being committed. Boldly. It, I not only believe it's the truth, it is the truth. Now, since Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, it ought to be spoken with boldness. It's not something we compromise on. We stand upon it boldly as Jesus gave his word boldly. You see, conviction in the heart does two things. One, it produces fear. That's why the soldiers didn't bring Jesus to the Pharisees. You see, there was a fear. Never man spake like this man. Not only that, speaking boldly, it creates commitment. By the way, a lie spoken boldly leads a lot of people astray. That's how you can get people like the Ayatollah Khomeini, that wicked man over in Iran, who could get when Iraq and Iran was going, were at war with one another, they, he, could, he could inspire 14, 15, 16-year-old boys to go out across a field into a hail of ammunition, gunfire, and bombs and be killed for the Ayatollah Khomeini. Why? He spoke lies 
boldly. It's bold speaking is great for truth, but for lies, if you're not committed to truth, it will lead you astray. By the way, a lot of that happens during election time in the United States. But it creates commitment. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? He says, think about what you're talking about. If Jesus is Lord, then we ought to obey him unquestionably. He is always right if he is Lord. So the question comes out, as these enemies of Christ said in John chapter 10, Why should you listen to him? First, for the words that he spake. Secondly, for the power that he demonstrated. Multitudes had seen Jesus do miracles. Now, as I said the other day, Jesus didn't come specifically with the purpose of doing miracles. That's not why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. But he did a lot of miracles, and John gives us an idea why. John tells us why. In the Gospel of John, he actually recorded so many miracles by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life, in his name. You see, in Christ, there is eternal life. How do you know that? I look at all the miracles that he did. We look at the scripture and they had seen him turn the water to wine. They had seen him feed the multitudes full and overflowing out of just a few fishes and some bread. They had, he had made the blind to see. He had made the lame to walk. He had made the deaf to hear. He healed multitudes of sick folk. He had cast out demons. Even the demons were subject unto him. He had even raised the dead back to life. They had seen him walk on water. Why hear ye him? Look at all that he had done. Is that not enough? And what's interesting is that the enemies of Christ, no matter how many miracles he did, kept coming up to him and saying, what sign are you going to show us so that we'll know you're telling the truth? The truth is he could could have done a million miracles and they still weren't going to believe him. They had made up their mind. They were not going to believe him in spite of all the proof. They were not going to believe him. At his commands, the winds and the seas calmed down always. Many missed the point of the miracles which he did. In John chapter 6, after feeding the 5,000 and after walking on the water, He arrived at the other side of the sea, and when the people came his way, he said to them, you seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. They had missed the point of the miracle. They just wanted to follow him because they thought he'd make life easy for them. But having said that, let me warn you about some things. If your only interest in Christ is that he would solve your earthly problems, you're going to be very disappointed. He didn't come to solve your earthly problems. That's not his primary thing. You've missed the point. If you're seeking the power of Jesus Christ for anything other than to be saved and then to help you live like Christ wants you to live, if you're not serving for those, if if you're not seeking him for that, then I'm afraid you're going to be greatly disappointed in him. 
He didn't come to see to it that your bills would be paid. He didn't come to it so you could have cars and houses and lands and everything that your heart desires. These people on the TV and on the internet who's saying, listen, Jesus wants you to be happy all the time. He wants you to have everything you could ever want. They are liars and they are deceivers. He came to seek and to save the lost. And sometimes the lost get saved and find that they end up with more problems than they ever had before they got saved. Let me give you a Bible example of that. How about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was a top guy among the Jews. He was out persecuting Christians. He was representing the high priest in Jerusalem. But when he got saved, suddenly everybody turned against him and they wanted him dead. And in the beginning, even the other disciples were scared to get around him. He looked like he was alone except for Jesus. I'm just simply saying you go down through church history And you'll find that there have been multitudes of people who have come to Christ and gotten saved only to be persecuted and hounded and even tortured and put to death. So if you're seeking Christ just to make life easier down here, you've you've missed the whole point. You see, uh, Christ's power is demonstrated in the many changed lives. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In 1971, after going to the church so I could play softball with the church team, it was the only time we had gone with any regularity to any church at any time. We didn't have anything to do with God. Didn't have anything to do with the church. But because a man asked me to play softball with the church team, in order to play, I had to go to once a week. I started hearing the gospel. I got to seeing my need for Christ. When I took Christ as my Savior in November of 1971, he changed my life completely. A week later, when my wife trusted Christ as Savior, he changed her life completely. The whole direction of our life changed. Everything was different from that point on. And many of you can give a similar testimony about when Christ came into your life, your outlook, your desires, your goals... Everything became different because that's what Jesus Christ does. You look at the demoniac of Gadara. Here was a man who lived among the tombs. Here was a man that people had to put chains about because he was a danger to everybody. When Jesus came on the scene and this man became a believer, Jesus cast the demons out of him. The next time you see him, he is clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus makes a change in everyone that trusts him as Savior. So, why hear ye him? One, for the words that he spake. Two, for the power he demonstrated. Let me give you number three, for the hope that he brought. Back here in the passage in John chapter 10. If you look at verse 9 in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. You go down to verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You know, you've got a bunch of people out there teaching that even though Christ saved you, he might throw you away. That doesn't mean you're saved forever necessarily. If you do something wrong, you're still going to die and go to hell. Well, to me, those people are calling Jesus a liar. I mean, you can't get any plainer than this when he says in verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life. If you could lose that which he has given you, this would be a good time for Jesus to say, but if you do wrong, you still won't have it. But that's not what he says. He says, and they shall never perish. Matter of fact, while you're here, turn back to chapter 5. Notice in chapter 5 of the book of John and verse 24, where Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. How long is that? That's forever. Anyone who believes on him according to his word hath everlasting life, and I love this promise, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's the hope that Paul talks about and writes about in Romans chapter 8. Hope is not, I'm, I'm thinking I really want this to happen. I hope it'll, no, no. Hope in the Bible is a for sure expectation of a fulfillment that God has given in the scripture. You can count on it. In a world of despair and tragedies and disease and death, dying all about us, I'll tell you what, the world's always been like that. That didn't start with the pandemic. Wars and rumors of wars, all of that. The disciples hoped that Jesus would set up his kingdom in their day. As a matter of fact, many came to him. Those that were looking for the Christ were looking for the Christ to set them free from Roman tyranny. But what they needed was the Messiah to set them free from sin. For that to happen, he had to go to the cross, first of all. Why did they hear him? Well, in John chapter 6, in verse 66, the Bible says from that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him. So then Jesus said unto the twelve, will you also go away? And Peter spoke up and he said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You say, why hear ye him? Well, who should I go? I'm not going to Nostradamus. I'm not going to some guru sitting up on a mount. That seems rather dumb, doesn't it? I'm going to go to the one who has proved himself. I'm going to go to the one who gives a real hope. Think about it as Jesus is on the cross and one of the thieves who's hanging on a cross next to him turns to him and says, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't say, I'm going to come down off the cross and I am going to get you down off the cross and we'll soothe up your wounds so that you'll be feeling good. No, he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That guy was still going to suffer. In the brief time he had left, there wasn't going to be one pleasant moment. 
But you see, according to the words of Jesus, before the day was out, he'd be in paradise because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives hope. This hope, by the way, is not fleeting. I saw a story today. Evidently yesterday, and I don't remember the state. I guess it wasn't important. Important thing about, it might have been New York. New York or New Jersey, one of those. Yesterday, they had the numbers come out for the largest lottery in the history of America. 1.9 billion dollars. One per, nobody won it. Nobody won it. So they got to go through it again. Now, I went on to read the story. I mean, because literally billions of dollars were spent by people to try to win it. Nobody won it. Then hope it'd make them rich, but not the kind of hope that the Bible gives. But now get this. For the winner, I read the story. For the person who would win, they'd get less than half of that because of taxes. And not only that, not only would they get less than half of that, but they'd get it spread out over 29 years. Wouldn't help you 80-year-olds much, would it? (laughs) Probably many of us 70-some-year-olds. You know, when it comes to the government, listen, they're not giving anything away. You understand, they're going to get it back one way or another. But here's the point. People were going out and buying, even though it wasn't what it was advertised to be. But I tell you what the hope Jesus gives, it's everything he advertised it to be. Having your sins forgiven, knowing that when this heart stops beating and you pass from this this life to the next, that heaven awaits seeing Jesus. Hallelujah. He gives hope. Yes, there's power in his words. There's power in his actions. There's power in hope. That's why we'll hear him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, dear God, for being our Savior. Thank you, dear God, for your truth. Thank you, dear God, for who you are. Thank you for the salvation that you provide all that turn to Christ. Now, Lord, I pray for the people that are here this morning. I don't know who's saved and who isn't, but I do know that you came to seek and to save the lost. That any unsaved person that's here, you want to save this morning. You you don't want them to wait another day. You don't want them to wait another week. You want them to be saved this morning. You want them to come as they are and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, they could have this matter settled today. I pray you'd bring them to your son. Father, I pray for Christians today. All right, we're saved. Who should we hear? We still ought to hear Jesus. We still ought to listen to his word. We can trust him with our soul. We can trust him with every part of our life. And he will always be right. God, I pray you deal with the hearts of believers today who are not living for you, who are not faithful to you. I pray today they'd come and claim the promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have your way in every life today, I plead in Jesus' name.